Hello and welcome to the Fail Mary podcast. Wow, what, what a weekend. That was incredible. Six wildcard games, six amazing and I think very, very different football matches. None of them were identical to any of the other ones. They are all individual and unique and a bit weird in their own way. So a lot to unpack. Let's start with, with the results. The Colts travelled to Buffalo to place the Bills. Obviously they were slightly outgunned approaching this game but it turned out to be a very close and well-fought game. The Bills won eventually 27-24, but the Colts definitely did themselves proud in that one. The Rams went into Seattle to face the Seahawks. And this was sort of the, the Rams defense versus Russell Wilson pretty much. The defense wins championships apparently, so that was 30-20 to the Rams. Russell Wilson throwing a pick six early in the game to put his team behind and they never really recovered. The Buccaneers hosted the Washington football team. This again was supposed to be a particularly one-sided affair, but went down to the last drive. Taylor Heineke was the uh, backup quarterback who Washington had to put in late, and he played brilliantly. Really, all heart, as the team said, all heart. Couldn't quite get it done at the end, though, and the uh, the Bucks won 31-23. to The Heineke, again, was driving for a win on the last drive of the game, so failed fourth down you know taking a sack on a third down which he needed to avoid doing but apart from that very impressive the Ravens traveled to Music City to face the Tennessee Titans this was easily the most aggy game of the weekend it ended with Marcus Peters of the Ravens dancing on the Titans crest after he picked off Tannehill to win the game slightly calmerific I feel I'm not particularly upset by the fact that Ravens took, made the most of getting one over the Titans who'd done a similar thing to them earlier in the season Baltimore's run game, Baltimore's run game got loose twice, or Lamar specifically got loose twice. Derrick Henry never got loose, which was very impressive. I think the most impressive from Baltimore's team is that they limited Derrick Henry to 40 yards. Brilliant, brilliant performance from that defense, and Lamar did what he needed to do. The New Orleans Saints beat the, beat the Chicago Bears. This game was reasonably close for the first half or so. Uh, Wims, the Bears wide receiver, dropped. I think what's fair to say, an absolute dolly trick play in the end zone. That would have kept the game level in the first quarter, but the Bears never really threatened the end zone after that, and the Saints were quite, let's say, leisurely in how they pulled away from the Bears, who didn't offer much of a threat in that game. That was 21-9 in the end. And in the e easily the wildest game of the weekend, the Steelers hosted the Browns in Pittsburgh. They were 28-0 down by the end of the first quarter which was just, you know, a really, really poor performance. They conceded a touchdown on their first snap, which the centre just yeeted straight over Ben Roethlisberger's head, and then Big Ben didn't jump on it, which is not great quarterbacking from him. This game ended 48-37. The Browns, that makes it sound a lot closer than it was. I think this was a full-blown Steelers bottle job, which, after how chatty they got by the end of the season and they're continuing to be, I'm really okay with. So, let's get into these games in a bit more detail. So we, we like to build narratives in the NFL over the course of you know one season and also over longer periods of time. And then when we get to the playoffs, it's a challenge to see whether that narrative that we've built is actually true and still holds, or whether actually it was more imagined in our head. And when it comes to it, it's sort of a you know a bit of a, a fallacy, something we've made up to make it more interesting and actually doesn't really apply. Invariably, we're wrong as much as we're right, but there are some of the narratives do hold up and some of them do prove us to have been accurate throughout the season. So, I think the best way to go through these games is to have a look 
at some of the narratives that we'd, or I'd specifically in some cases, constructed over the course of the season. So, I think a popular one was Let Russ Cook. And what this was, was that Russell Wilson, everyone thought for years, got held back as a quarterback by, you know, Seattle being a bit primitive, being defence-orientated, being run-orientated. Naturally, if you just let Russell Wilson be the quarterback he could be, then Seattle would be unstoppable. Um, safe to say this one is a no. Uh, the Rams-Seahawk game was a perfect case study of why you can't just assume that having a great quarterback guarantees that you'll win a game. It worked for a bit. It worked in some games in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you can't just throw your quarterback out there and go, come on, come on, cook. Do cook, Russ. Do your cooking thing. And I don't blame Russell Wilson for this. I spent He spent a lot of time this season bailing the Seahawks out of situations. They haven't given him a defence for the most part. They didn't give him much of a run game. They haven't given him a hugely great offensive line. They haven't even really given him a great playbook. So I think we need to amend this this analogy somewhat. It's not let Russ cook. Let's Let's go with, I think that kind of applies, but if you don't give him the pieces to work with, then it's very, very difficult for even Russell Wilson, who did, in some spurts, play really, really well. And, I mean, the touchdowns just showed that, at his best, Russell Wilson can score whenever he wants to. But, you know, he can't just magic things out of thin air. So I'm, I'm going to make this one. Buy Russ ingredients, and then let Russ cook. Get out of the kitchen, get out of his way, give him everything he needs, a good defence, a bit of a run game, some offensive line, and a good scheme. And then let Russell Wilson be Russell Wilson because invariably that's where he would be in his sweet spot. So let Russ cook doesn't really apply, especially not against a Rams defence like this one. Speaking of the Rams defence, let's look at defence wins championships. That's another one. That's one that's been around since the 70s and 80s. That's a very old one in the NFL. And the reason we have to analyse this one is because as the game is changing and becoming more offensive friendly and there's better passing and cleverer schemes, we're sort of moving away from the whole idea that just a strong defence can carry you anywhere. So, defence wins championships. Did this, did this hold? Sort of, I think it's fair to say. It worked for the Rams and arguably you could say for the Ravens. Didn't work for the Steelers though. Their defence wasn't winning them a championship on its own, neither did it work for Washington, didn't really work for the Bears. So defence is still important. I'm not saying you can't win without a defence, but I think this one's quite hard to rewrite. Defence wins championships if you complement it with a capable offence. Sort of, that's more true, although the Rams' offence was sort of a non-event and that didn't really matter. Uh, Washington did have a defence, that didn't help them at all. So did the Bears, so maybe... Defence can win championships? Mm. Mm, not really. So we're sort of can win championships. Anything can win championships. An offence can win a championship. So not a great one. I think defence is useful in winning championships. Defence is necessary in winning championships. You can't win without a defence. But a defence on its own isn't going to carry you there anymore. So I think defence required to win championships. Not quite as catchy the defence wins championships, but when it comes to making the play like the Rams' defence did, or turning up in the big spots, or playing well all game long and keeping the game close like the Ravens' defence did, they're a necessity, but they aren't a sole piece. You can't just have a good defence and win anymore. That's not how it works. Now let's move on to one. I think 
I'm probably the worst suspect of this because I've been peddling this all this idea all season long. Philip Rivers isn't a Super Bowl quarterback. So let's let's assess that, shall we? I think mainly me saying it, to be fair, worth re-examining. The Colts didn't win, obviously. It was a close game right to the end. And when you look at what happened in this game, Philip Rivers, I mean, you know, maybe he isn't a Super Bowl quarterback, but he's definitely a playoff quarterback. Philip Rivers is not the reason the Colts lost this game. Kamoko Toure is the defensive lineman who quite literally handed them a free first down late in the second quarter, which the Buffalo Bills then capitalised on. Frank Reich made a few very strange calls, including trying to convert a fourth down in the red zone when they were ahead and could have just kicked for more points. Uh, Roger Blankenship, their their rookie kicker, he also missed. And they had another... A two, uh, it was a situation when they were seven, eight points behind, so they just scored a touchdown. They could go one touchdown behind. Went for a two-point attempt. That didn't work either. So some very iffy calls made by the Colts. But for me to say that the reason they lost the, this game was because of Philip Rivers, well, that's just not the case. If they had done everything to support Philip Rivers... He had three great touchdown drives. He managed the game really well. He audibled excellently from pass to run. And he basically was, I think, what quarterbacks quite often don't get credit for is noticing when a scheme suits the run and switching to it. I think Philip Rivers was part of the reason that the Colts run game was working so well. No, he isn't Josh Allen. No, he isn't going to break off a 50-yard run like Lamar did. No, he's not going to throw it 70 yards like Mahomes or Wilson or Josh Allen will do. But you don't need that to be a playoff quarterback. You don't even need that to be a Super Bowl quarterback. That wasn't Nick Foles. That wasn't Jared Goff when he got there. So a concession that I will make is that Philip Rivers, I don't think Philip Rivers will win a Super Bowl now. I think this is probably his best chance. But it's not for the want of trying. He's a great leader. And it's not because he didn't have the ability. He did everything he could for that Colts team. He got them down the field three times. He kept this game close. He managed it brilliantly. Better than Josh Allen. Managed the game much better than Josh Allen. No, he's not a transformational talent. No, he's not going to create highlight reels every week on his own. But in terms of leadership and, and doing what a quarterback needs to do in managing the game, Philip Rivers was brilliant this weekend, did a really, really good job. So I suppose it's an apology, an apology from me to Philip Rivers. I, I underestimated him. I thought he would shrink in the big situation. He grew. He led the team brilliantly. I think in a better team with better support around him and a better coaching job, Philip Rivers could be, could be, I'm not sure we'll ever see it, but could be a Super Bowl quarterback. Here's another one. The Browns will always be the Browns. This is a good one. This wasn't me. This was Juju Smith-Schuster uh, just before the Browns game when he talked about, yeah, they've got some good pieces. Yeah, they've had a good season. But, you know, the Browns will always be the Browns. Well, will they? Because the Browns, what that means is he's talking about the, the historic Browns dysfunction. He's talking about, you know, firing head coaches every nine minutes. He's talking about draft getting first round draft picks and wasting them. He's talking about just generally not being a particularly good organisation. Well, you know, we all watch the game. Were the Browns a dysfunctional organisation or is it the Steelers who have always been loud, have always been a bit chatty, have always been a bit annoying, have always been poorly not great at all at like pinning themselves down when they need to they're still like chase young was on some sort of live stream chase chase sorry not chase young chase claypool was on some line live live stream after the game and he said oh the browns are gonna get smashed next week anyway so it's fine well is it fine 
is it fine that you lost by that and that you embarrassed yourselves massively and that your offence looked a joke? Is that fine? Is that the fine Pittsburgh situation? And I've been critical of most of Pittsburgh, but this has to, at this point, be a Mike Tomlin problem because there was problems with Le'Veon Bell. They got rid of him. It didn't solve anything. There was problems with Antonio Brown. They got rid of him. It didn't solve anything. There's always been problems with Ben and his sort of history off the field. They've done nothing about it. Yes, they get off good O-line. Yes, they draft wide receivers very well. But they are really, really poor, especially postseason in recent years. They don't put things together nicely. They lost that. I can't, I'll never forget when they lost to Jacksonville in the playoffs and, and we're all chatty about that game as well. They were already talking about, oh, we're going to beat the Patriots in the next round. Well, you've got to beat Jacksonville first. And they didn't. And they embarrassed themselves. So the Browns will always be the Browns. Well, not necessarily true. This weekend, the Browns were very much a brilliant, well-buttoned-up, pinned organisation. They didn't have Kevin Stefanski in the sideline, and still, they were the much more well-organised and well-disciplined team in this game. The Steelers will always be the Steelers. They have now a more consistent track record over the last 10 years. The Browns are just good at this point. Okay, their quarterback's not amazing. Okay, they sometimes get a bit aggy and dysfunctional internally, but... The Browns are no longer the Browns of history. The Browns are now a, a well-drilled, strong-running game team with a great head coach and, let's say, an excitable but still a capable quarterback. So the Steelers will always be the Steelers. I'm changing that one. This is a good one. Tom Brady is a system quarterback. Well, is, is that true? Uh, the Patriots lost their division for the first time since 2008. The Bucks play a completely different scheme, and yet Brady has had a career year, as have the Bucks. They have good weapons, but, you know, average coaching. I don't rate um, Bruce Arians that much at all. Brilliant year for him, brilliant year for the Bucks. In a playoff game against a great defence, he was once again impossible to touch. And we used to give him very little credit for this. We'd say, oh, well, you're getting the ball out quickly because you're playing for, you know, you're playing with the Patriots, you're playing in this great scheme, you're getting all the support. Well... Is that true? He had a marginal offensive line, and yet he's still getting the ball out very quickly, quickly, very accurately. He didn't turn it over once against this uh, Washington team. And Brady's greatest skill as a quarterback has always been his brain and his work ethic. He's brought the same thing to the Buccaneers. He's helped them as an organisation be more buttoned up. If he's a system quarterback, then... Which system? Does it not matter if it which system? If he's a product of one system, is he a product of every system ever? And if that's true, then all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks because they have to play within the system. So Brady has clearly made himself... He's won the divorce, as it were. He's clearly not the product of the Patriots anymore because he's carried this Bucks team pretty much on his back. He's making everything work. He's making all of these wide receivers work. Antonio Brown is now even working. He couldn't work at the last three teams he was at. Brady's just a brilliant, brilliant leader, a brilliant quarterback mind. You know, not the most dynamic talent, but he's throwing it better than I've ever seen him do. He's got a career year in passing yards put together. It is ridiculous at this point to call Tom Brady a system quarterback. I'm happy to call him the GOAT, maybe not talent-wise, but definitely leadership-wise and definitely quarterback intelligence-wise. Next one, Lamar Jackson is... Lamar Jackson can't win a playoff game. Well, that's obviously not true. The credit in this game, I think, has to go to Lamar for sticking to what he's good at, not trying to force things, and yet still getting the result. The concern was always with Lamar that if he tried to play the way he always wanted to play, which is a lot of running, a little bit of passing, then that would be it. He could never win a playoff game. But 
He knew the situation. He knew the Ravens defense had the measure of Tennessee and Derrick Henry. He knew that he didn't have to make... All he had to do was not make too many mistakes. After he threw the pick, they were 10-0 down. He reverted to what he was good at. He dished the ball out a bit, but not too much. They gave him a lot of support with Patrick Ricard, the fullback, doing a really good job. But Lamar, ultimately, two or three great runs he made all day. The rest of them, he, you know, stayed within the scheme, didn't try and be too special. He passed when he needed to pass. This is who he is as a player. He doesn't want to be... Patrick Mahomes he wants to be Lamar Jackson and if he can break off these runs I think it still means he's more reliant on his defense than he should be but he's younger than me which is distressing he's still improving he can add composure to his list of skills he won a playoff game if he just keeps improving year on year then eventually he'll reach Super Bowl standard I'm not entirely sure he's there yet but this was a really good win for him I understand he got a bit excitable at the end but I'm okay with that uh let's look at one more Drew Brees is too old. Interesting one. I wasn't hugely impressed with the Saints, but I'm going to give... I'm not going to say this one doesn't stand anymore. I'm going to I'm going to give them a bye because playing Chicago and getting up for a Chicago game when you know they're not going to score any points is a difficult one. They didn't get going at all in the first half of the Saints, so it was... It's difficult to measure them against someone where they can go into that game comfortable. And as you you listen to the game film back and you can hear them at the end saying, we got past this one. This was a game we got past. This could have been a, a bogey game. We could have tripped up here, but we didn't. We're still in the playoffs. Now they're on to face the Bucks. If they lose to Brady and this Bucks team, then we'll re-examine. But for now, I'm giving Drew Brees a bye. I don't think he's too old necessarily. I think it will hinge on next week's performance. Okay, so that's I think I think that's Wildcard Weekend looked back at. Now let's look forward to the games coming up this weekend. We have four. Some of them are on quite late, so I understand you might not be able to stay up for all of them, but they are all going to be excellent. First one on the list is the Rams at the Packers. I'm gonna make some predictions. I didn't do I did alright last weekend. I got a couple wrong, but I got what's that? Four right, two wrong? I think that's pretty good. Um Rams Packers, I think this is probably the easiest call of the weekend. The Rams Got the win in Seattle and played really well. But that game kind of played into their hands because Seattle didn't do anything to support Russell Wilson. And that played into the fact that the Rams' defence was amazing and they could take the game away from them. But the Packers have done a lot to help Rodgers. They've got a sound defence. They've got a good run game. They have a good passing scheme. It's young and it's exciting. And then they've also lit this fire under him by drafting the, the backup quarterback. And Rodgers has been excellent. He hasn't given the ball away a lot at all. And I think the Rams this weekend relied a little bit on Russell Wilson letting the Seahawks down or having to do too much for the Seahawks. I don't see Green Bay doing that. And then going the other way, it's going to be Jared Goff at Lambeau Field. He's sort of he's not a, a heavy thrower. He's like a, a, a precision timing thrower. That's quite hard to do at Lambeau because it's loud and it's very cold. They'll try and run to control the ball. That's the way the Rams have to win this, essentially. Stay off the field as much as... Keep Rodgers off the field as much as possible. But Green Bay are rested. They're also at home. I think the Rams keep it close just by how good their defence is, but I can't see them putting up a lot of points in Lambeau Field, and I think Green Bay win this one. That's the easy one, I think. Could be wrong. The other three, I'm not so sure. The Ravens at the Bills. Inch, I'm leaning Bills, but it's interesting. The Ravens were... The reason I'm leaning Bills is that the Ravens' defence was purpose-built to stop the Titans, to stop Derrick Henry, to stop that massive run game, be thick up front, be heavy up front, and then dynamic but also physical in the backfield. As far as the Bills' offence goes, it couldn't really be any more different, and I don't think the Ravens' defence is suited to play 
against this style of team at all. They weren't that good at getting to the quarterback. The Bills like to hold onto the ball. They have they weren't that great in the secondary. The Bills like to throw deep. And I think the game against the Colts showed that the Bills still have a few limits. But the Ravens only managed 20 points against the Titans. Well, the Bills have a stronger defense. You know, not as experienced playing Lamar, but they they've basically have been handed a blueprint on how to stop him by all the teams that have in the past. Lots of speed on the second level, which is important. And we've seen that he can play from behind if the run game starts moving. But then if it grows into a big margin, if the Bills do start to separate, then it's on Lamar to manage the game as a passer, which is a big ask and not something that he's shown that he can do yet, even though he was a good game manager with his feet against Tennessee. I think ultimately in Buffalo, he'll have to pass. And again, it's up north. It's cold. He's not a heavy thrower. He just sort of floats out there for his receivers to go and get going to be cold and windy it just doesn't this for me doesn't match up at all well for the Ravens I think I think they'll struggle to get the push up front that they need to get in terms of pass rush and then off the back of that I don't think their secondary is good enough to stop the light of Stefan Diggs who was excellent so I'm leaning bills in that one next one Browns at Chiefs this is going to be a fascinating fixture and it hinges entirely on which Chiefs team shows up if they're fresh and firing and at their best, then Mahomes will blow anyone away. So he's definitely going to blow this Browns secondary away because they've got some injury problems and they weren't that great to start with. If they're still stalling, though, as an offense, then the Browns run game absolutely smashed through the Steelers. Won't have an issue doing that against the Chiefs, which is a less strong defense. I think the break probably played into the Chiefs' hands a bit here. But, you know, based on how good they are, I hope that they'll snap out of it. But again, they're looking at the Browns. If they have the same issue as, the, as uh, Pittsburgh did, where they think we're playing the Browns, this isn't the Browns team of old. I've said that before. This is a new Browns team. You have to treat it with respect. You have to play your absolute best to make sure you compete against this team. I'm going to lean Chiefs because it's mental to bet against Patrick Mahomes, especially against a, a not great secondary off a break. But Baker Mayfield is now the oldest quarterback left in the AFC. He needs to show a lot of leadership and maturity in this game which I think he's getting towards being capable of. And he needs to keep it within reach, keep the ball, keep Mahomes off the field. And if they start to churn and start to put pressure on the Chiefs, then it comes down to, can they go from a few weeks of dysfunction and then a break to suddenly being firing on all cylinders again? And that's a challenge for any team. Again, I'm leaning Chiefs, obviously, because it's Mahomes. But it's going to be a good game. And then finally, the... Buccaneers at the Saints. This is my favourite game of the weekend for sure. It's a divisional matchup. It's the old guard quarterbacks facing off against each other in the over 40s category. Drew Brees is actually older than Tom Brady by a few months. But what I love most about this game is that the Saints offence didn't really show up in Chicago, but then the Bucks defence sort of got picked apart by Washington and a backup quarterback. So this is Saints precision game against the Bucks speed game. And the Saints won both times these two played in the regular season, but Brady is the more experienced playoff QB, and he knows that he'll have to control this game from the start. And the Saints aren't really a team to fly away with it, whereas the Bucks are more capable of sort of making the mistakes themselves. So I really like how this matches up. The thing that separates this for me is that Arians versus um, Sean Payton is a mismatch quarterback-wise, whereas everything else is sort of well-matched, good offense against good defense, and then sort of fine offense against the fine defense. I'm going to go with the home field advantage and the coaching advantage, so I'm going to go for the Saints. But this, the Bucks are the team that will turn this around quickly if it starts going badly their way. If the Bucks go ahead, then the Saints have got to change how they play. If the Saints go ahead, then the Bucks just have to hope that their 
sort of deep throwing offense starts to click. If it doesn't, they'll lose. If it does, then there's a chance they'll bring it back. But it would be a great game either way. Okay, and now moving on to the mailbag. Question one, what are my thoughts on Lamar Jackson running off the field and not handshaking at the end of the game? Okay, yeah, he did do that. He also, you know, he saw the game out, which was a big thing for him to see his first playoff game out as a win. And then he sort of sprinted down the tunnel and had to come back out and do his interview, which he was one of the weirder interviews I've seen. He was still, you know, shaking his head, still annoyed that he threw a pick, still fired up about the win. So I really liked that that was his energy. Having won a game, he's like, okay, I've won one, but I'm not satisfied. I want to go and do more. I want to go and get back to work. Let's go. So that's... You know, he's still young. He's still a processing quarterback. I think what, what, and maybe this is why I'm not a professional sportsman, but my thought is if Tennessee have been giving them, you know, upset them in the playoffs this year, last year, embarrassed them and then embarrassed them at their game, the home game they played during the season by standing on their crest, and then you get this chance where you've won it at their place and you've danced on their crest. And if you go and watch the game film afterwards, you know, like Mike Vrabel and John Harbour had also come to blows in the in the regular season. They walked out and they shook hands and Mike Vrabel said, John, huge respect for you and what you do. Congratulations. Go on and win it now. And John said, thank you very much. Lots of respect for you too. You're the Titans. Well done. You made a great organisation, blah, 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 blah. Now, obviously, that's a really lovely moment. But it's got to be just a little bit sweet for John Harbaugh to walk out there and shake hands with the man who he's just finally overcome after all this embarrassment. So for me, if I was <laughs> Lamar Jackson, I'd want to look Malcolm Butler in the face and say, yeah, good game, man. Unlucky. See you next year. Get on your bus. Go home. Bye. Obviously not say that, but take a moment to enjoy the fact that you've won this game, that you've cemented your first playoff, that you've beaten a team that was a bogey team for you. Go and... Go and not gloat, but revel in your victory in the face of the opposition who embarrassed you. I think that's what Lamar, I appreciate that he wanted to, just to crack on and get back to work and he's still determined and he's still got a lot to prove and he wasn't hugely pleased with his performance, which I also like, but you got the win, take a breath, take a moment, go and shake hands, you know, smile in the face of the people that embarrassed you and then next week or five seconds after, go and get fired up again. That's okay, just... I wish he'd taken a moment for his sake, not because I think he looked bad, because I don't I don't really care that he didn't shake hands with the people who, you know, danced on his crest. I obviously that's just part of the game, but I think for his sake I wish and he'd I wish he'd taken that moment to enjoy himself. Question number two, what are your thoughts on Doug Peterson being fired? Yeah, okay. I, I wasn't gonna talk about coaching. I will talk about this one because I think this will develop really, really quickly. Um, Doug Peterson has been fired from the Eagles, which is, I think the re it happened so quickly and, you know, kind of out of nowhere. I know the Eagles haven't been great, but they're only four years removed from a Super Bowl win. That's not a lot of time. And lots of coaches get a lot longer. I think the Eagles are quite often quite quick to move off people, probably because of how vocal and quite mean their fan base is. I also think listening to the, uh, the GM and the owner talk about this firing, a lot of what it seems to be is that They've talked about, the owner essentially said, you know, we don't necessarily believe that Doug Peterson deserved to be fired. However, we don't think he's the right man for the job moving forward. So what that means is 
his record isn't the record of someone who needs to be sacked, but we don't think he's the best thing for our team, which means that he thinks that Doug Peterson has completely lost the, the dressing room and the players, which is understandable considering he he threw a game and took just uh, took Jalen Hurts off and essentially, you know, all that drama on the last day of the season, which overplayed, if I'm honest, but understandable. Here is a team that's out there that should be going to pick up Doug Peterson immediately. LA Chargers. Go and get Doug Peterson. He is, first of all, an exciting head coach because people know he's good. People know he's super worthy. You're trying to build a franchise in a new city. Get yourself a coach. An exciting one. Second of all, you put him with your young, dynamic, playmaking, strong-armed, but slightly too footworthy and run-aroundy for his own good quarterback. Doug Peterson has a lot of experience working with quarterbacks who are full of raw talent but need a bit of, you know, dialing in. He had he had at one point Carson Wentz on for an MVP season before injuries happened. He would be great with Justin Herbert. So I think that works as well. Also, you have pretty much a ready-built team. You have great defensive players, defensive pieces. You've got great offensive weapons. You need an O-line. Well, Doug Peterson can help with that as well. He's got a good drafting uh, record. Doug Peterson should be the head coach of the LA Chargers, and I think it will happen, and I think it will happen soon. So that's why I'm talking about this, because it's going to be exciting. And finally, what do I think the future is of Taylor Heineke? Taylor Heineke put in such a good show for Washington. There are, for me, that was my favourite game, because I love a game where it's supposed to be sort of meh, and then it's like, wow, that was amazing. I think Taylor Heineke has pretty much cemented himself as a backup forever. Because such a great performance, but ultimately, you know, he didn't carry them to a win. He didn't actually change anything. He just showed a lot of heart. I think he could compete more for the starting job in the future. But here's the thing. Taylor Heineke wasn't someone they brought in at the last moment. They've had Taylor Heineke on their books all season. So all season long, Ron Rivera went, yeah, I see your talent. I can see that you can run around. I'm going to go with Alex Smith. I'm going to go with the guy who can actually operate a system really well. And Taylor Heineke had a good game, but the Bucks didn't have any film on him. They'd never seen him before. He was a different sort of player to Alex Smith. If they decide as an organisation to go in a different direction and play a bit more running quarterback based, then Taylor Heineke has a, a competitive role within the squad. But in terms of a great supportive backup that you know you can put in and who will do a job... I think that's where Taylor Heineke stands. He's not new to the league. People have known about him for a while. And there's a reason he's not been a starter. I don't know exactly what that is because he played well this week. But obviously people look at him in training and say, that's not a starter in the NFL. Maybe another team will try and pick him up and give him a chance like the Jags did with Nick Foles. But again, Nick Foles had won a, a Super Bowl. Taylor Heineke didn't even win one game. So great performance, full of heart. Really appreciate what he did for Washington for that game and how much pressure we put on Brady but Taylor Heineke is a is a backup for a reason and that will end the mailbag and end the show for this week thank you very much for listening I hope you enjoyed that round as much as I did it was amazing the ones this week the first game starts at 8.20 that's the um, LA versus Green Bay game and then the other one starts at 1.15am annoying that they couldn't play it during the daytime to be honest but I understand that it's the American market they've got to prioritise for. So, if you can stay up and watch it, great. If not, then I hope to hear from you anyway next week. If you want to, we have another YouTube video as well, by the way, that does some film analysis of how teams lost in Wildcard Weekend. So you can go and check that out on our YouTube channel, which is the Fail Mary podcast as well. 
If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Podcast Mary, so give us a follow on there. Thank you very much for listening, and I will speak to you next week. <laughs>